Who is Jesus Christ? We'll see you later. <laughs> Still checking it out? Is there any reason to check it out? Not for me. Who is Jesus? I don't have an answer. Who is Jesus? I got no clue. Do you care? Not really. Why not? Why not? Because <laughs> I got my own opinions on that. I don't think you really like it, you know. I would, actually. No, you wouldn't. Honestly, I would. That's why we're doing this video. Oh, cool. Sure? Yeah. You want to answer a question? Depends on what the question is. <laughs> Who is Jesus Christ? Oh, my God. Is that the answer? It is. It is. That's the one. Who is Jesus Christ? I don't know. <laughs> he lives upstairs. What's he doing up there? Watching down on us. Why? I don't know. <laughs> He's bored. You got a second? Who is Jesus Christ? Uh, I have no idea. You ever thought about him? A little bit. What'd you come up with? Uh, he's a person that people look up to. He's a god, I guess. Is he a god to you? Uh, no, he's not. Why not? Uh, I have no idea because I don't have any type of religion. Do you think there's any reason to, to examine it further, to check it out? Uh, not at this point, no. Why not? Uh, I don't know. never really came across my mind. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. Read our text today is Josh Snodgrass. This is um, John chapter 2, verse 13 through 22. I'm reading from the ESV today. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables and told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. And verse 24 says, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them. Because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Thank you so much, Josh. Imagine visiting your father's property, a 19-acre campus, and to your dismay, it's not being used for the purpose in which it was designed. In fact, there's animals in places where there should be people. There's extortion going on. Crime is being committed. Would you get upset? Jesus did. He opened up a can. He had just about enough. And clean house. In fact, he did this twice. This happened towards the beginning of his ministry. And then prior to his death, he did it again. Recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's significant. 
because the place where this happened was the court of the Gentiles. The Jews were called, the Hebrews were called, the children of Abraham were called to be a light to the nations, a kingdom of priests, as it were, to minister the covenant-keeping reality of the God who is the great I Am. But they become cloistered and enclosed and inbred and chose to repel people, make it hard to become a believer in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To the point that the place in the temple that was designed for Gentiles to be able to come and visit their services was filled with cattle, sheep, oxen, birds, and people changing money at exorbitant rates. They justified it because in the days of the Roman Empire, the money all had pagan symbols on it, or at least it had the images of a man, which according to the law was idolatry, and they didn't want that kind of thing admitted in the temple, and yet they allowed it to enter the temple and have money changing going on right there in the temple so that they could buy temple money. Every year they were to pay a half-shekel tax for the temple, as well as they were to exchange money for sacrifices if they didn't have one. And so their money of the Roman Empire wasn't allowed to be used for religious purposes, so they changed it at exorbitant rates. One Bible scholar says he thinks they may have made up as much as $300,000 a year ripping people off. Have you ever gone to a fair where your money's no good, you have to go buy these tickets? When I first went, I kind of enjoyed it. You know, a dollar bought five tickets. Last time I went, it was a dollar bought four tickets. Things are costing more tickets, but my dollar's buying less tickets. Somebody's making money hand over fist. This is the kind of thing that was happening here. This is an amazing fulfillment of Malachi's prophecy in chapter 3. The last part of verse 1 says, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. This is fulfilled by Jesus. Listen to this. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? He cleaned house. It wasn't like him just running people out of this room. This thing was a 19-acre campus. He ran them off the premises. The premises here are 17 and a half acres. I cannot imagine running off a bunch of people with their businesses off of this property. It was ticked. For he is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, When you manipulate people spiritually, that's sorcery. Against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners, this is what was happening in the temple, and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien. Gentiles were being turned away. There wasn't room for them. Basically what happened, Jews were scattered throughout the Roman Empire, so they had to travel great distances to Jerusalem every year for Passover. So there were hundreds of thousands of people coming, traveling thousands of miles. And so to bring your sacrifice with you was kind of hard. So they would sell sacrifices for weeks in surrounding villages prior to 
the festival of Passover. But they took it a step too far and brought it in to the place that was designated for being a light to the nation. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Mark 11, the second time he cleansed the temple, he said, you've made it a den of thieves. My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of thieves. They cease to use the Lord's house for his purposes because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Welcome to Jesus Is. Today we're going to speak on the subject, Jesus Is Cleansing. The festival of Passover included the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where not only were you eating bread that was made without yeast, but you cleaned house. You got rid of all leaven. It's like you dusted your house in any form of mold or dust. You got it out of there. A type of house cleaning. God meant for that to be more than just a physical act in their homes, but should affect their culture, should affect their hearts as individuals, and definitely in their temple. And so I think it's significant that here's Jesus ultimately going to be the Passover lamb for all the world to clean house before he's crucified. Today is Palm Sunday. It's ironic to me that we reach John chapter 2 in our journey. It's week number 7. You think, my goodness, we're going forever through the book of John. We're only at the end of chapter 2, and uh, we've been seven weeks. How long is this thing going to take? Well, in context of history, I mean, John started that book in the beginning, so we've gone pretty quickly. (laughs) Jesus cleans house. He's cleansing. He desires to cleanse our hearts and our lives. He desires to cleanse our house. Now, we know he no longer dwells in temples made with hands. Just a couple years after that temple was finally finished, it got destroyed. He now dwells in the hearts of men. Don't cheapen this story about making it be just about what you do in terms of business within a church property. This deals with our lives. Extortion is wrong no matter where you are, in the church house or out of the church house. While we're at it, there's plenty of extortion going on in the church. People selling God's blessing. You know, get your new anointing times 10 for $2,500. I've seen that twice on Christian TV, selling God's blessing. Martin Luther faced it and dealt with it in his day. The Reformation was started because of this kind of thing. Pay money to get your friends out of purgatory, which is damaging to the doctrine of purgatory anyway. The doctrine of purgatory, as I understand it, not that I believe it, was a place for souls to go to be cleansed before they go to heaven. So you're going to cheapen the process of a soul being cleansed in purgatory with some money? Man, heaven's going to become earth too. Back to the subject. Jesus is cleansing. Can we say that? text I'd like to really center in on, John 2.17. says, Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. This comes from Psalm chapter 69, which we're going to look at in a minute. But before we do, I just want to share this interesting story. This little guy is Theodore Roosevelt who eventually grew up to become one of our presidents. In Moline, Illinois, I started elementary school in Theodore Roosevelt Elementary School. He was a hero in my life since I was a little guy. And when he was little, he went through a season where he was deathly afraid to go to church by himself. And his mom said, 
what's wrong? He said, I won't set foot in the place without you, Mom. Why? I'm afraid of the zeal. Well, what is the zeal? Well, the, the zeal is something that, that's like a, an alligator or a dragon. It's in the Bible. I heard it. The pastor read it. So his mama got her concordance out, looked up the word zeal, and began to read through every verse on zeal. And when she got to John chapter 2, he said, there it is. <laughs> zeal has eaten me up. <laughs> zeal for your house has eaten me up. If you're Amelia Bedelia and you take everything literal, then perhaps we should look at a few other translations just to get the meaning of this verse. The New Living says, Passion for God's house will consume me. The basic Bible in English says, I am on fire with passion for your house. The contemporary English version says, My love for your house burns in me like a fire. Who would agree Jesus is concerned about the condition of his house. He's concerned about the condition of this house. And by this house, I don't mean these 17 acres and this 100 by 125 foot slab and what we're doing here. He's concerned about us, his people. This verse that they remembered, which was in the Old Testament, is Psalm 69, which I think is interesting the way it begins. For your sake I have borne reproach, shame has covered my face. This is Jesus bearing our reproaches for the sake of his Father. Not my will, but yours be done. He died on the cross for our sins, but he did it for the Father. He bore our shame. Shame has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children. His family didn't know what to think of him. Because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. It was a lack of the fear of God that caused them to do what they did in the temple. And they turned that same disregard towards him. Even though we say his ministry began in Cana of Galilee, here's where he really went public. What a grand opening. And shortly after this house cleaning, miracles began to take place. We see this. and People began to... Think about believing him, and he's cautious with them because he knows how corrupt we are as a race. Now, they had asked him, what sign? They didn't tell him he was wrong. They all knew it was wrong. Show us a sign that we know you have the authority to do this. And Jesus said, destroy this temple in three days. I'll raise it up. Another place in Matthew, they said, show us a sign. He said, a wicked and adulterous generation requests a sign, but this sign should be given them, the sign of Jonah who was in the belly of the whale for three days. So the Son of Man will be. So Jesus bore our reproaches because of zeal for the house. This isn't just a temporary thing. I want to get the cattle out of here. This is my dad's house. No, he wants his house made right, and he came to be the ultimate sacrifice to make us right with the Father. Because the earthly season for the purpose of that temple was coming to a close. It revealed man's sinfulness. He gave man a perfect religion through the law of Moses, and none of us can abide by it. Jesus came, the Word made flesh, to pay the price as the Lamb for the sins of the world. Jesus is cleansing, zealous for the house. 
I would like to talk about three areas that are very important in the Lord's house. The area of exaltation, edification, and evangelism. I believe the Lord wants to remove barriers from our lives to His exaltation. This has to do with Him being made glorious in the eyes of ourselves, our families, our brothers and sisters, and the unbelieving world. Make His praises glorious. This is about more than good music, but this is about a heart that wants to glorify His name. You know, we live in such a world that is so self-glorying. Have it your way. I did it my way. You know, the great American hymn to the tune of Amazing Grace is me, 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 me. One day I want to make a YouTube video of pictures of all these signs that appeal to our selfishness. Just have those signs show one after the other with that song in the background. Me, 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 me. The Lord's house is about the Lord. His glory. It's not that he's an egomaniac. He wants us to line up with reality. And the reality is he is glorious. And we're to magnify him. Magnify him doesn't make him bigger than he is. It makes him bigger in our view of him, which lines us up more and more with reality because he is much bigger than we realize. He is awesome. He is glorious. So what barriers in our lives need to be removed to exalting him? Small thinking, negative thinking, complaining, not trusting him, I believe the Lord wants us to remove barriers to edification. Edification is to build up one another. Purpose of prophecy is edification, exhortation, and comfort. To build up the body. What barriers keep us from being edified, from growing as a people, from encouraging one another? Negative thinking, small thinking, unforgiveness, a lack of trust in God, viewing one another through the eyes of the past, you know, when Jesus met people, he sometimes would give them new names. There's Simon, as unstable as water, quick to talk without thinking, and Jesus names him a rock. You're a solid man. And he wasn't. He's the God that calls those things which be not as though they were. And I believe the Lord's house should be a place where we esteem one another highly, more highly than ourselves. Jesus said, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Meaning we represent him. If people receive us, they're receiving a blessing from Jesus. He who receives you receives me. Meaning if I don't receive you, I'm not fully receiving Jesus. We're the body of Christ, are we not? So if we truly exalt him, I think we would be a place of edification. We'd be a people that build one another up. Is there a reason to rebuke someone? Yes. Is there a reason to come together and reason? Yes. Speak the truth in love. But once it's over, man, give, some, give everybody a clean slate. Don't put people on probation. You know, you're going to have to wait for 16 months before I'm going to esteem you as a brother. 
we have been made the righteousness of God. So I think this is something the Lord wants to remove barriers from our heart in. Lord, what's keeping us from edifying your people, from building one another? And sometimes a hindrance, we're down on ourselves. So how can we be up on other people? Jesus became sin so that we could become righteous. Not just righteous, but the righteousness of God. There's a difference in forgiveness and, and righteousness. Forgiveness is God taking the debt that we owe and paying it off. You're forgiven. That's awesome, isn't it? You imagine being in debt a great amount and someone forgives that debt. Boy, what a load off your shoulders. Righteousness is a step beyond that. Now that we're forgiven, we're still, you know, if you owed millions of dollars and that debt was forgiven, you'd be debt-free, right? But you'd still be broke. Righteousness doesn't deal with our indebtedness. It credits us with the character of Christ placed on you. God esteems you as though you were his son. Because you are. We are joint heirs with Christ. He wants to cleanse from our hearts anything that would hinder that from being fully expressed in our lives. And I think as we grow spiritually, we discover who we are in Him. This isn't New Age thinking. You know, I'm okay, you're okay. No, this is a miracle. The love of God bestows upon you the righteousness of His Son. Yes, filthy, sinful, you and me. He is making righteous and He's declared as as though it's already done. Good stuff. I believe He wants to remove barriers to evangelism. The church is to exalt Christ edify one another, and reach the lost. Just as the temple had barriers to Gentiles coming during the Passover, what what an incredible witness to the reality of the covenant, the festival of Passover. And they were denied access because of, you know, who wants to dodge cow patties and go to church? The smelliest place in the temple was this market down on the ground where they were offering sacrifices. That stuff was getting burned up. But here it was fresh, nasty. What is it in our lives and even in our church practices that can hinder evangelism? There are traditions that need to go. You know, as people, we hate change. And the older we get, the more we hate it, yet the more we have to deal with it's changing. I think that's why we hate it so much, because so much is already changing. We're trying to retain some type of stability. The thing that never changes is the message. The gospel never changes. We will not compromise that. But the means in which we communicate it sometimes must change. You know, we don't provide reel-to-reel tapes anymore. Right? Nobody uses them. When I was uh, 13 years old, my family returned to the States from, from uh, Monrovia, Liberia, where we were missionaries. My dad became pastor of a church that was filled with traditions that was a hindrance to evangelism. Visitors would come and say, man, these people are whacked. One thing was testimony service. Same people would get up and give the same testimony. Some of the testimonies became competitive. You know, I feel the power of God in this place. The closest thing I've ever felt to this was a time I went down in my diving bell. So deep, the pressure got so great, my blood ran backwards. 
It was wild, you know. The Lord healed me of a, of a tumor. If you don't believe it, I got it in a jar at the house. Unbelievers are just gag, you know, at some of this stuff. My husband's going to go to hell if he doesn't stop smoking no cigarettes. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm not exaggerating. Stuff was happening. Things like every Sunday we had to celebrate whoever had a birthday that week. And they would drop pennies in this can for missionaries. Pennies. 1969. Clink, clink. People would count to find out how old they are. And we'd sing the song, A happy birthday to you, a happy birthday to you. May you feel Jesus near. And then we'd do the same thing with anniversaries. Wedding anniversaries. They'd come but once a year. And us kids would go, thank God. And we hope that this one will bring. And my dad says, man, we've got to do something. It takes 20 minutes of traditions every Sunday before we can get to the gospel. So he did some creative things, like he merged those two songs. You know, birthdays and anniversaries, come on up. A happy birthday to you and anniversary too. And then during offering time, just a dollar bill will do. Just a dollar. No wonder they took five offerings every week. Bills. There may be some things here. You're an unbeliever here today, and you may think, well, you people are pretty whacked too. There's some things here turning me off. Well, tell us. You know, be, be, be nice about it, but not right now. <laughs> We've got to be willing to change traditions if it's hindering the lost coming to Christ. I think I made the point. There's two things I would like to just caution us against on the subject of evangelism cleaning house. We must beware of external cleansing. In other words, beware of thinking that everything looks good on the outside and everything's right on the inside. And that could apply to our praise sounding wonderful. Meanwhile, we've got conflicts going on in our life with other brothers and sisters. Or it could be we talk good about people to their face, but behind their back, we talk bad about them. Or we make adjustments to be more evangelistic, yet we ignore unbelievers during the week. I go to evangelistic church. I'm evangelistic. And then during the week, you don't have any contact with unbelievers where you're at least creating some kind of positive witness. This is an interesting story. This is B.H. Carroll, the founder of a seminary in Fort Worth that is now the largest seminary in the world. In his left hand, when this painting was originally painted, was a cigar. B.H. Carroll, founder of the largest seminary in the world, smoked cigars. So did Spurgeon. Somebody asked Spurgeon if he was ever going to quit smoking cigars. He said, yes, when they quit making them. (laughs) This is the 1800s. All right. Well, over the years, the school eventually developed a no-smoking policy, right? So how could they have a picture of their founder with a cigar? Well, rather than just let history be history, they cleaned things up externally and did something weird with his hand, like he's got his fingers folded. Now, I didn't get this off some website online. I went to the campus. I heard about this. And went in there and saw the picture and took a picture with my phone. 
So that's from my iPhone. That, this is the truth. Cleaning things up externally makes us a joke. I'm not poking fun at this seminary. I'm talking about us. Lord, help us learn from the lessons of history. God is concerned with the heart anyway, more than our lungs. And beware of syncretism. For the sake of evangelism, there's churches celebrating Ramadan for the sake of evangelism. What is that? And reading portions from the Bible and the Koran. What is that? I'm all for coexisting in terms of being tolerant of people that disagree with us because you can't cram Christianity down people's throat. But we should be a witness to the truth and declare the gospel and trust Him to give saving faith to those that are being saved. And let Him do the work. But this is man trying to somehow syncretize. In Nigeria, there's a thing called Chrislam. In Mexico, there's Catholics that practice witchcraft. Syncretism, mixing of religions. Jesus came to clean house, and he came and he declared the truth that he's the only way to the Father. He is full of grace and truth. So with that being said, we've got to talk about the elephant in the living room. Here we are on Palm Sunday (laughs) selling lunch. If you don't have any money, I got you covered. Trust me, it'll be the best $5 you spend for lunch today. Really, it's good food. And it's for a good cause. It's helping our youth go to a great conference. Jesus recognized he is more often revealed and he reveals himself to you at the place when your experience doesn't line up with your expectations. Are you hungry? You thirsty? We got food for you. So at this time, we'll have you stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And may all obstacles to His exaltation and your edification and evangelism Be removed from your life and my life and our life. In Jesus' name, amen.